Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is taken from our Not Abandoned series, which walks through the book of Exodus, seeing how God is always with us. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you. We'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Exodus chapter number two, and we were in the book of Exodus a few months ago. And uh, we're going to uh, discover a lot more in it over the coming days and uh, really the coming months. We're going to be in the series for a little bit of time, and I'm looking forward to to our time in it. So let me ask you a question. You ever had a time in your life when uh, you thought you weren't as noticed as you probably were? Here's what I mean by that. Maybe a time in your life when, um, when you thought you were getting away with something, and you weren't going to get away with it. Uh, you ever heard the saying that moms have eyes in the back of their head? How many of you, your mom said that growing up? I have eyes in the back of my head. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, but maybe there was a time when you were in a, in a class or something like that, and you, um, you thought you were getting away with some things in class. I remember in college, there was a, a class that we had kind of in a gym. There was probably about, uh, about 100, 150 students in this class. And um, the way that it was set up was kind of uh, put the basketball hoops on each side and the class was set up in there and the, uh, the professor was there at about half court teaching to everybody in the class. And a friend of mine, his name was Sammy. Uh, Sammy sat on this side of the class, and I sat on that side of the class, and we did it intentionally so that any time the professor would look down, we would throw things back and forth in this gym. And he would maybe turn around to point at something on a screen or using a, a projector. Anybody know what a projector is? Uh, he would use a projector or something of that nature, and he'd walk over to it and point something out. And I remember multiple times thinking that we were getting away with things because what would happen is as soon as his head would go down and he would start reading or saying something, we would stand up, we would throw a pin, just just a pin, and try to aim for each other. And we'd hit other people and all that stuff. And it went on for like, like a month of class. Every, every week, we'd have his class. Every Wednesday, two and a half or three hours, we'd have his class. And every Wednesday, Sam and I, Sam and I'd be throwing something back and forth. Well, it came time for midterms, and if you have not guessed, um, although I passed classes, I sometimes didn't pass them very high, and uh, so my grade was suffering a little bit, I think, in that class, and I can remember, uh, I don't remember exactly what was said, but it was basically as he was looking down one day, and we were getting ready to throw something, he said something to the whole class along the lines of, you know, Dennis, Sammy, your grades would be better if you guys would actually pay attention. And I believe, if I'm remember correcting, remembering correctly, that I was kind of mid-throw. And I looked up, and he said that, and I just sat down, and yes, sir. And needless to say, we just started throwing things in other classes, not his anymore. But <laughs> you, you, you've probably had times when you thought that your teacher, your parent, somebody maybe wasn't as aware of you as they probably were. As we come to Exodus and chapter number two, this is a place that the children of Israel, the God's people, the Hebrew people, they, they were at this place. 
They were at a place where they thought God was not as aware of them as God was. Did you know that in your life and my life, as uh, if, you, if you know God, if you claim yourself to, to be a, a Christian, a follower of God, all of us get to this place every now and then. We get to the place where we think God's lost track of us. Where we think, not, not that we're trying to get away with things like I was in class, but we think God is not as aware of my current situations as he should be. Be honest. I won't make you raise your hand, but be honest with yourself. Have you ever thought that? I know I have. God, do you really know what's taking place? God, do you really know what's going on in my life? God, do you really know the thoughts of my heart and my mind? God, do you really know what I'm struggling with? And you and I face that, and the people of Egypt or the people of Israel, they were facing that. Let's get ourselves up to speed in Exodus chapter number two. A few months ago, we preached four messages out of Exodus one and two called Difference Makers. And I won't talk about that series, but I do want to talk about the story. What took place? Well, the Bible ends in Genesis chapter number 50. It ends the story of a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph, he was a Hebrew boy that was sold by his own brothers into slavery. Eventually, he would be a slave in the place, the land of Egypt. In Egypt, God would work miraculously, and Joseph would become actually second in command in Egypt. He would become second only to Pharaoh himself. And then God would use Joseph, those of you that know the story, Genesis chapter 40, chapters 40 through 50, tell the story of Joseph being there in the land of Egypt and God using Joseph to preserve all of the lives of the Hebrew people because famine hit the land and Joseph now in control in Egypt, God would use Joseph to preserve his own family. And so all of his family would move from where they were in Canaan to Egypt and they would move to this place where God would provide for them. Well, Exodus chapter one tells us that there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, who didn't know the history of Joseph and his touch on the Egyptian people and how Joseph really, Joseph was responsible for saving multiple nations, not just the Hebrew people. I mean, he was responsible for saving the Egyptian people and all that uh, would come from the famine that would affect them. Joseph was responsible for preserving life. Well, the story tells us that a Pharaoh rose up that didn't know Joseph, and that Pharaoh was intimidated by the people of Israel, by the Hebrew people. You see, by now, 400 years or a few hundred years have passed, and that Pharaoh is looking out, and he's thinking, man, what was just a few hundred people is, is now a lot of people, perhaps up, upward near 2 million people. And that Pharaoh, in his insecurity, he said, before there's an uprising and they take over the land, let's make them slaves. And so he, he puts these Hebrew people into, into slavery. Now they're the slaves that are building all of the uh, Egyptian palaces that are building different uh, structures and things to, uh, as tribute to Pharaoh himself. Well, the word of God tells us that that wasn't enough, that they still uh, grew in the sense of uh, population. They still grew in number. And so the Pharaoh comes up, Exodus chapter number one, he comes up with the idea to kill all the baby boys. 
Let's kill all the boys under two years old so that uh, the Egyptian or so that the Hebrew people, they won't have a, they'll have a generation missing. But in the midst of that decision, there was some midwives and there was some parents that said, not our kids. And there was one family in particular who they had a baby son. And this little boy, they hid him as long as they could. And then in the plan of God, they took that little boy and they put him in a, in a little basket down by the Nile River where they knew that no doubt that the Egyptian uh, um, uh, princess would go. And they set him there. And that Egyptian princess, she found that baby boy and the scripture tells us that she raised him as her own. And his name was Moses. Moses, this young Hebrew boy that God would eventually use to bring all of the people out of Egypt. He's raised in the finest of houses. He's raised with the greatest of teachers. He's raised with the best of accommodations, the best food, everything he has going for him. Well, Exodus chapter two tells us that he knew that he was the deliverer for God's people, but he kind of, uh, he kind of made some decisions before God told him to. And as we ended Exodus chapter two, a couple of months ago, Moses is actually on the run. Why? Because he had killed an Egyptian soldier and he was trying to defend the people of God. It was, it was uh, maybe a, a wrong decision in, or excuse me, a right decision wanting to defend the people of God, but wrong timing. It wasn't God's timing. And so Moses, he's on the run. Now he gets to the backside of the desert and he spends four decades there. And that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter number two and verse 23. Exodus chapter two, verse number 23. Stand with me if you would. Let's just read a few verses. Exodus chapter two and verse number 23. The word of God says this, and it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by the reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. As we come to this passage this morning, what we're going to discover is that the children of Israel, although they were at a place where they're in bondage, they're at a place where they feel like God has forsaken them. The series that we're entering into is a series called Not Abandoned. And it's understanding over the next 10 weeks this simple concept, and I want, you to, I want everyone to catch this because it's a great truth for us to remember. Not abandoned. God will never forsake his own. Hey, listen, God doesn't quit on you. You and I, we may quit on God, but God does not quit on us. Not abandoned. And today, the principle that we're going to discover is as you and I travel through life and think that we go unnoticed, that God is well aware of our situation. God is well aware of what's going on in your life. God is well aware of the circumstances within your marriage. God is well aware of the situations that you face at home. God is well aware of your work. God is well aware. 
And today we're going to understand that principle that he's well aware of the situations that we are in. So let's pray. Let's ask God to bless our time together. And then let's get into our passage. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you use it to help us and to speak into our lives. And Lord, we are thankful today that you do not abandon us, that you don't leave us, that you don't forsake us, that you don't quit on us. And Lord, we pray that as we get into the word of God this morning, that you would help us to understand and see that you truly are well aware of the situations that we are facing. And Father, I pray that you'd help every single person in here today to make the decision that even when we can't see you, that we can trust you. God, help every person in here today to make the decision that even when we don't know what's going on, that we can trust that you do know what's going on and that you can use every situation for your glory. And God, I pray today that if there be anyone here or maybe with us online, they don't know for certain that heaven is where they would spend eternity. I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you alone. We love you, God. We thank you for loving us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Exodus chapter two, the people are in bondage. The children of Israel are in a place of slavery, a place of hurt. They are worn out. They're discouraged. They're in a place of despair. And while it takes a little bit of time, they eventually turn to God. And what we read in verse 23 through 25 is they eventually cry out to the Lord. And I love what verse number 25 says because it launches us into chapter three. Verse number 25, it simply says these words. And God, he looked upon the children of Israel and he had respect unto them. The word respect there, it means to take knowledge of to surely be aware of, to regard, and to comprehend. Here's what takes place. The people of Israel, in their despair, they call out to God. And you know what God did? He listened. He listened, and he paid attention to them. Notice the story continues in chapter number three. Now Moses, remember, he's been on the backside of the desert now for about 40 years. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. If you remember, when Moses came into the promised land, he, or excuse me, came into uh, um, this uh, backside of the desert, this land of Midian, uh, as he came into that territory, there were some shepherds, some lady shepherds, six sisters or seven sisters, if you will, that he saw them struggling with some other shepherds that were kind of bullying them. And, and Moses stood up. Well, he ended up marrying one of them. Zipporah, one of the shepherds, the, the young lady shepherds that would be there. And now Moses has been there with them for these 40 years. And he's just watching the flock on the backside of the desert. And he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt. And When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And God said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses, he hid his face, for he was afraid to to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. What we read here is perhaps a very familiar story to some, but to others, maybe it's not so familiar. We would call this the call of Moses. This is a time in Moses's life when when God officially comes to him and tells him, Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver the people. And, and God, through the course of the rest of this chapter, chapter three, he sets up the scenario. Here's how it's all going to work out. And we'll see that in the coming weeks. But as God comes to Moses, he just says to him, I mean, what got Moses's attention is very interesting. We just came back from Israel. And if you were to ask some of our people, what was the weather like? They will say, scorching hot. We went at a time that was, it was decently hot, much like maybe our July here. It was very hot in a couple of places. Well, particularly where Moses would have been here, this would be um, all the way south. I mean, almost toward Egypt and the Red Sea is where Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai would be. And here's Moses and there's a bush that's burning. Now that wouldn't be uncommon, a bush burning in the wilderness because of the heat. But what was uncommon was the bush was not being consumed. It was, you know, we, we have fires around here. When something's on fire, it begins to fall apart. Well, that bush wasn't. And Moses, he, he does what many of us do. He talks to himself. He looks, he's like, oh, that's interesting. And he says, I'm going to turn aside and see, what that, see what's going on here. And you know what they say about talking to yourself? You can always talk to yourself just as long as you don't answer yourself. Exactly. You can talk to yourself, but if you're answering yourself, we might need to talk afterwards, get you a little help. And I'm just teasing. But he looks aside and he sees, he sees this bush isn't consumed. It gets his attention. He begins to approach the bush and he hears the voice that says, Moses, Moses. And he has a great response. Here am I. Yeah, yes. What's going on? He knew is the voice of God. And then the voice says, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He tells him, take off your, your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Hey, Moses, I've got something very specific and very particular to give to you. And Moses has that surrendered spirit. And we're going to see later down the road, Moses doesn't always have that surrendered spirit. We'll see a little bit of that next week. But as Moses says, here am I, God gives him this message. Hey, I have heard from my people. I know what they're going through. And Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver them. You know, what's really interesting to me is that Moses has been on the backside of the desert for 40 years just leading sheep. I know we have some folks here that work with animals, and sheep are not the brightest of animals. And sheep, you know, I can't imagine leading them on the backside of the desert. I mean, I... I am not a farmer by any means. I'm not a rancher by any means. I can ride some horses, but you ask me to do anything much further than that, and I'm going to be like, no. (laughs) 
And here's Moses for 40 years. You know what I kind of picture Moses thinking? I mean, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, Moses knew, even before this, he knew he was gonna be used to deliver God's people. Do you ever think that, you know, year 20, on the backside of the desert with those sheep that Moses is thinking, hey, God, are you, uh, you sure? You sure about this? I mean, God, I don't see any of the puzzle pieces fitting together. God, I'm not, in, I'm not in Egypt. I'm not doing anything with the people that you want me to, to, to do something with. God, I'm not leading in any way. And God just maybe simply would say, it's okay, Moses, just keep shepherding. Just keep leading the sheep. What's interesting is God would use that time to help Moses understand leadership because soon God would not be, or Moses would not just be leading sheep on the backside of the desert. He would be leading God's sheep, God's people. And if you haven't noticed, people can be as silly as sheep sometimes. <laughs> this week, someone asked us, they asked Hannah, and I was in a conversation, didn't hear it, but they said, what are the, what are the greatest blessings and the biggest cons of being in ministry, a pastor and a pastor's wife? They asked Hannah that. And I, I, didn't, I don't even know what she said. I, I don't know the, end, the full answer she gave. But toward the end of the conversation, I turned over and she said, what would you say? And I said, what would I say to what? She was like, well, what's the pros and cons of being in ministry? Biggest pro, biggest con. You know what I said? Many of you would say the same thing. I said, people and people. <laughs> what's the biggest pro and biggest con of being a parent? Your kids and your kids. Why is that? Because people, we can be fickle, can't we? We can change and, and we can have all of these ups and downs and we can look at, at Moses with sheep in the wilderness and think, man, he could have thought, God, what are you doing? But God was preparing him for a future opportunity. Here's what I wanna give you, just a simple thought before we really even dive into the entire passage is that God uses our situations, our current situations to prepare us for future opportunities. Don't ever discredit the situations or circumstances that you're in right now because God could be doing something for the future. Hey, Moses, you've been leading sheep on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Don't worry. I'm gonna use that because soon you'll be leading my people on the backside of the desert for 40 years. God uses our current situations to prepare us for future opportunities. This is a lesson that Moses would learn and God would tell him, Moses, I am going to use you to deliver my people. Well, why, God? Why are you gonna do that? Because I am well aware of what's going on. I see that God is well aware in four statements that God gives. Four statements that God gives that helps us understand that God is well aware of the people of Israel and their situation, and God is well aware of your situation. Notice the four statements with us. The principle first, number one, God sees our troubles. God sees your troubles. Exodus chapter three and verse number seven, as God is speaking to Moses, he says to him, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. The Lord says to Moses, I have clearly seen the trouble, the affliction, the depression. I've seen the misery of my people. Exodus chapter one, verse 13 and 14 displays for us the misery of God's people at this time. It says these words, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor 
And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. The word rigor, it means severity or, or cruelty. The people of Israel, you know what they were doing? They were living in troubled times for sure. They were made to serve with cruelty. Their troubles were continual. Their troubles were dreadful. They were, uh, they were in a place where they were hated and no doubt they hated getting up in the mornings. They were miserable and yet they were still getting up every day and going through struggles every day. They were getting up in this heavy situation in this place of trouble and, and anguish of soul and they were at this place where there was no end in sight. It was the thought of, God, where are you? God, what have you done? God, why have you forsaken us? And yet God says to Moses, no, 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 I see their trouble. I am well aware of the affliction that's, that's going on. I am well aware of the despair that they are facing. And God saw the heaviness and the trouble of their hearts. And I just want to tell you this morning, as you and I look at this passage and we think to ourselves, no doubt, what does this have to do with me? That there are times in your life and my life when we wonder, God, do you see the monotony of my life, the days in and days out? Do you see the trouble that is on my soul? God, do you see the anxieties that I am dealing with? God, do you see the, the anguish that's in my heart from that hurt of that relationship or that loss of that loved one? God, do you see where I'm at? And you know what? You you can say this today, just as the people of Israel did at the times when you feel like God isn't watching, God is well aware of your trouble. Hey, God is well aware of the anguish of your heart. God is well aware of the, the, uh, the struggles that you and I go through. And just as God saw the heaviness and trouble of their hearts, God sees the heaviness and the trouble of your heart. The people of Israel, they were under bondage from Pharaoh. They were under the attack of the enemy. And no doubt in your life and my life, there are times when despair and discouragement uh, is an attack in our life. And God sees that. God sees when you and I suffer and struggle and the heartaches that we face as we travel the roads. God sees the day in and day out troubles. God sees the heaviness God sees our struggles. He sees our trouble. God is well aware of the trouble. Hey, Moses, I see it. But not only does God see our trouble, I want you to see this morning that God, he hears our cry. Hey, God hears our cry. Oh, this is a great principle that I hope we don't look over. But before I give you the verses and the principle, let me ask you a question. You ever had a time when you should have asked for help and you didn't until it was pretty much too late? <clears throat> a few years ago, we, uh, how many of you have ever watched that show Chopped? You ever watched that show Chopped? Well, years ago, when that was just kind of just kind of becoming popular, we watched it. We watched it with the kids and watched Chopped, and uh, we always told Hannah, "You need to go on that show," you know. And um, so one day, we ended up with the kids. I think. Man, they were probably, that was probably eight years ago. It was probably eight or nine years ago. Kids were young. And uh, we were like, the kids were like, hey, let's do Chopped ourselves. Let's do cho a Chopped show. And so we were like, all right. So the three chefs were our three kids. At the time, I think uh, Dennis was probably nine. Lena was, was eight. Micah was six. 
And they were, two of them were, I think Dennis and Lena were the contestants and Micah was the host and, and Hannah and I were the judges. And we told them, now you're not gonna get help from us unless you ask, you know, you just make your own thing. And so they both were like, you know, Dennis was like, I'm gonna make tacos. And Lena's like, I'm gonna make tacos too, but I'm gonna make fish tacos. Isn't that what you made, fish tacos, Lena? I think so. <clears throat> and uh, as we went through this process, Dennis, you know, he's eight years old, nine years old, cooking and doing some things. And we videoed, if you don't know Chopped, they talk through the process and they have to use certain ingredients to, to make, you know, a dish and put things together. And Dennis, he, he did okay. And Lena, she is, she, she's struggling. And she's the one who reminded me about this story yesterday. So I have her permission to tell it. She is struggling going through this and, and she's gonna make fish tacos. And she made her fish tacos but she forgot to take the bones out of the fish. And so we get to the end and one of us took a bite of this taco and I think it was still cold and the bones were still in there and all of that and took a bite. And, and it was one of those like, you know, you don't want to hurt your life. I mean, you, this is just for fun, right? So you don't want to be like, oh, you know, but I remember taking a bite of that and just feeling fish bones. And I, I have horror stories with fish bones because my mom growing up, she would always be like, now chew the fish good because you know people die from choking on fish bones. That's like burned in my head. So I'm like, you know, almost 40 still to this day. And when I eat fish, I'm like, you know, like a rabbit or something like that, you know, just, just, uh, just munching away, hoping I don't die from fish bones, hearing my mom's voice in my head. And so here we are with Lena and she has this. And I remember... I remember Hannah kind of telling her, well, Lena, you, you could just ask for help. I've got it, mom, I got it. You know what you and I do sometimes in life? We have a God who's like, hey, I'm available. And we're going, no, God, I got it, I got it. And we feel like we think that we become an inconvenience to God. And here's what the children of Israel did. And don't, don't miss it this morning. They had a God who was well aware of their situation and a God who was wanting to hear from them. But do you know what they did? They put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. How do we know that? Exodus chapter two, verse number 23. It came to pass in a process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel, they sighed by reason of the bondage. Do you see that? And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. You know what that phrase by reason of the bondage means? It almost insinuates that it finally hit a limit. It finally, was, it finally became all that they could take and so they turned to God. Why did they wait so long? I mean, in the story, you can go, go all the way to Exodus chapter number one and read Exodus chapter one and chapter number two. And what you find is you, you find people who are struggling and yet fail to call out to God. Oh, there were some midwives who had a respect of God and they feared God. There was a, there was a parent, Amram and Jochebed, who they had a respect of God. But the people, it never says that they cried out to God until until they finally hit their limit. I remember years ago, I've told the story before, talking to a man, and I won't tell you who he was. He had a, had a position, a ranking position, an um, um, elected position in this area. 
And I said to him, I said, hey man, I I just wanna pray for you. What can I pray for you about? And he said, oh, don't, don't bother God with my problems. I'll take care of me. Let God take care of everybody else. And I left that conversation and you know what I thought, man, how many times do I have that attitude? How many times do you and I have the attitude of, I'll take care of me and God, you can take care of everybody else. Here's the people of Israel in a place when they should have been crying out to God. Why? Because God was listening and God was waiting. God was simply waiting for them to cry out. The word cry, it means to shriek from anguish or danger, to cause to be proclaimed. Hey, God was just waiting for them to cause their grievances to be, to be proclaimed. And the people of God, they finally hit a point where their anguish, in their anguish, they just couldn't take it anymore. And so what they do, they finally went to the Lord. In Exodus chapter three, verse number seven, it says, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. God was ready and willing to listen to them and yet it took them a while to go to him. I just want us to know this morning that God is waiting and ready and listening for you. You know, whatever your situation is, don't wait until it's almost too late to cry out. Don't wait until it's almost, I just can't bear it anymore. Hey, today, call out to him. The Bible says it this way. God said it to his people in Jeremiah 33, three, call unto me and I will answer thee and I'll show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Hey, you know what God does sometimes? Sometimes you and I cry out to God and and no doubt you're like me in this, that you can think of times. Well, I remember a time pastor when I did call out to God. And it didn't go the way I thought it should. I remember a time that I, he wasn't my last resort. He was my first resource. I mean, I, I remember that I got that, that uh, uh, bill in the mail and I just immediately thought, man, God, I need you. And pastor, I remember having faith in that moment and yet the answer never came. Can I help you understand and help me understand this morning that sometimes the answer is, I'll give you grace through the journey. Sometimes the the answer is not the calming of the storm, it's the grace to endure the storm. Sometimes Moses, the answer is not, okay, Moses, I know you've been out here for 20 years, fine, I'll just pick you up and put you in Egypt. No, 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 Moses, the answer is I'm using this time. Moses, the answer is you're leading on the backside of the desert for 40 years because I'm going to use your current circumstances for your future opportunities but that doesn't take away the opportunity that you and I have every day to just simply call out to God. Hey, you have a God who loves you and who is ready and willing to give you grace. Our theme for the year, by grace. We're saved by it and then we're strengthened by it. What does that mean? It means that God wants to strengthen your life He wants to give grace. He wants to help you in every circumstance, in every situation. God wants to give you the strength to keep moving forward. And the answer may not be exactly what you you and I think it should be. The answer might be, hey, I'm just giving grace today. Remember Paul, he prayed and he said, God, if it would be your will, would you remove this, uh, this thorn in my flesh? Would you remove this circumstance in my life? And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. No, Paul, my, my grace will help you. I, I will strengthen you. 
In scripture, we need to know that God, he is ready and he is willing. Jesus said it this way in Luke 11, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Hey, the principle is still there. God is not deaf to the cries of his people. God is listening. Are you speaking? God is waiting. Are you praying? God is hearing. Are you calling? Hey, don't be like the children of Israel and wait until that burden just gets so heavy for the cry to be a shriek and a shrill out to the Lord. No, 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 no. The minute that I begin to feel that, man, every day, God, I just need you. God, give me grace today. God, help me to see you at work today. God, as I go through the monotony of the day, God, as I am in this place of anguish, God, as I am in this place of trouble, I don't know what the answer is, but God, I do know that you have the answer. So God, I need you. God, I just need you today. God sees our trouble. God hears our cry. Thirdly, God knows our sorrow. God knows our sorrow. Chapter three, verse seven, God said, for I know their sorrows. The word know is a similar word to that word respect that we saw a minute ago. It means to be aware of. I am familiar with. I completely understand. God did not say, I kind of get it. He said, I totally get it. I totally understand what my people are going through. I am completely aware of their sorrow, their pain, their grief, their hurt. I am well aware not only of the trouble that they're in, that they're enslaved, enslaved, but I am well aware of the sorrow of their hearts. You know, they were living in a real sorrow. Think about this. They, uh, they couldn't file a complaint with management. They couldn't take their grievances to Pharaoh. They were unable to take their taskmasters to court. They were unable to take it up with the union and file a grievance. You know what they had to do today? They had to wake up today and go serve. They had to watch as their loved ones were forced to serve. I put myself in the place of maybe one of those Israeli men, Hebrew men that would get up and watch his wife be ushered off to go, to go serve, be a slave. With teenage, with teenage kids, I think about our teenagers and I think about watching them take my son, take Dennis and march him off. And as they're walking, maybe he stumbles a little bit and that whip comes out. You know what that dad had to do? He just had to watch it. Why? Because if I do anything, I'll die. If I say anything, I'm going to get put to death. And you know what hope they had? They didn't. I mean, you think about your day, your bad days and my bad days. Hey, sometimes, you know what our bad, what we have, the hope that we have in our bad days my, my grandfather would always say, well, the Bible says, and it came to pass. Dennis, you know that this day will come to pass. <laughs> you might be, you know, I mean, think about it. You know, we, we go through uh, sickness and you get a cold or something like that. And, and usually if, you, if you're like me, when you get a cold, it knocks me out maybe for a day or something, maybe for two days if I'm going to be a baby three. <laughs> you know what I usually think? I just think, well, man, this time next week, I'll be fine. Right, this, this time next week, it'll be okay. 
You know, you go through a situation and, and, and you might be in the midst and the throes of a, of a crazy situation, a roller coaster ride, and yet you think, you know, uh, man, I, I know it's a far off, but six months, a year from now, this, uh, this will all settle down. Do you know what they were thinking? Tomorrow I gotta get up and watch the same thing. Tomorrow I gotta get up and watch them beat my family again. Tomorrow I gotta get, there's no days off. There's no hope coming. There's not a vacation on the board. I don't get a sabbatical anytime soon. And you know what God said? I understand. I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what's going on. Man, God, he knows He knows our sorrow. God was well aware of their outward pain and their inward sorrow. And the fact of the matter is that God is well aware of your outward pain and your inward sorrow. You see, God was well aware of their troubles, the outward, but God also knew the sorrows of their heart. And God doesn't just say, I kind of get it. No, I completely understand it. The scripture says this in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Hey, you know what that means? When Jesus Christ, this is a prophetic verse, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he carried the sorrows that you and I carry. He carried the, 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 the anguish of the heart that you and I carry. He doesn't just know your sorrow, he's carried it. And he promises to be close to you in your sorrow. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and he saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Hey, God knows the hurt and the grief and the sorrow that you carry and even the secret sorrows of your heart, God knows them. He is well aware of them. He understands them. Hey, I don't know about you, but it's good for me to be reminded sometimes in the the situations that I go through that God, he... He sees my trouble. He sees the the, the situations that I'm facing. God, he's listening to hear my cry. God, he knows the troubles that I go through. And I want you to see lastly today, just this simple thought that God, he will use our situations. God will use the situations that you and I face. We're gonna see a lot of this over the course of the coming weeks, but look at verse number eight. Verse eight, God says this to Moses, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and a land flowing with milk and honey. Skip down to verse number 19. God says this to, uh, to Moses, and I am sure that the king of Egypt, he will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. But I will stretch out my hand and I will smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her, of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters and ye shall spoil the Egyptians." You know what God was going to do? God was going to use this whole situation to set up a great deliverance and an incredible display of his power. And if you know the passages that we're coming to in Exodus chapter three, all the way through Exodus chapter number 10, you're going to discover that God does just that. God gives the plagues. Now, what were the plagues? Why why did God do that? Hey, God wanted the world to know. I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. 
He wanted the people of God to know, I am in control. I still have this. You can trust me. And before it even happened, here's what God's saying to Moses. Moses, I am working through this situation. You can trust me now. I will bring them out. But Moses, the Pharaoh's gonna tell you no at first. He's gonna say no, but don't worry. I'm still in control. Through all of this situation, all the people of, and all that the people of Israel were going through, God, he was working in God. He had a plan. He promised to bring them into the land of Canaan. He promised to exchange their bondage for freedom. He promised to take them from a place of poverty to a place of provision, to exchange their struggle for rest, to bring deliverance and to bring growth. And God was resolved to deliver his people. And the fact of the matter is that if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, God, he has a a plan and a purpose in your life. God had a place, he had a plan, and he had a purpose for the people of Israel, and God has a place, a plan, and a purpose for you. And there may be times in your life when you're thinking, God, what's going on? God, here I am on the backside of the desert tending to sheep, and God, this is not what I thought. This is not how I thought things would, would continue. This is not how I thought things would roll out in my life, and God might just be saying to you, hey, just keep trusting me. Hey, just keep trusting me. Why? Because I can use this situation to display great deliverance and display my power. God is working. He is, he will, he can, and he will use your situation to bring about something for his glory. Your life, at times, it might seem a little disorganized today. Things might be a little crazy or a little chaotic today. It might, no, it might be a little uh, kind of up in the air today. But here's, the, here's the, uh, the, the principle that you can stand on. Philippians chapter one and verse number six, being confident. Hey, you can trust in this very thing that he, God, which hath begun a good work in you. You know what he's going to do? He's going to complete it. He's going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is that if you know God as says your savior, if you are a follower of God, no matter your situation. God knows the trouble that you face outwardly. God hears the cries of your heart. God identifies and understands the sorrow that you're going on, that's going on inwardly. And you know what God says? I've still got this. I'm still working. It's okay. You can trust me. The truth is today that God is well aware of your life. Hey, you might be thinking that God is forgotten. He hasn't. God is well aware of what is happening and what's not happening. And God is working. Exodus chapter two, it starts with death and heartache, but it ends in promise. Exodus two starts with the people of Israel suffering, but it ends with God looking upon the children of Israel and being well aware of their situation. God sees, God hears, God knows, and God is at work. God was up to something in the life of Moses and in the people of Israel. And the fact of the matter is this, that God is up to something in your life as well. So the question that we ask ourselves then is this. Am I willing to follow him even when I don't see the answers that I think I should be seeing? Will you make the decision to follow him even when you don't see an answer? Stop living in doubt of the power of God. Stop waiting to take your needs to him. Stop believing the lie that God is unaware of your situation and instead make the decision to, 
By faith, follow. By faith, cry out. By faith, trust that he is aware of my situation. And if you know Christ as your savior this morning, I want you to understand and me to understand we need the same principles that were given to Moses that day. God sees it. God knows it. God identifies with it. He's waiting for you to cry out to him. He wants to give grace as you travel through the struggles and the sorrows that you and I go through. But the great thing is God is still working. God was up to something in their life and God's up to something in your life. So today, if you know Christ as your savior, would you just step back to say, God, help me to trust you. God, help me to believe you. God, help me not to wait to cry out until the last minute. But maybe you're here today and the decision that you need to make is to receive Christ as your savior. So I would ask every single person this question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Do you know that heaven is where you'd spend eternity? You say, oh yeah, pastor, I, 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 got, I, I uh, got baptized years ago. No, baptism doesn't get us to heaven. Well, pastor, I'm, when I get to heaven, I just hope the good outweighs the bad. That doesn't get us to heaven. Now, the Bible principle, what the word of God teaches it is that it's only through believing upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The word of God says it this way, that if you would confess with your mouth that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, we believe unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It's not good works that get me to heaven. It's not a church attendance that get me to heaven. It's not baptism. No, it's only by putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, the best decision that you could ever make would be today to put your faith in Jesus, to ask him to forgive you of your sin, to recognize that my sin is taking me to hell, but there's a savior who died for me. I'd like to do this today. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I just wanna ask you a couple of questions today. We're gonna prepare for what's called an invitation where we invite you. We invite you to respond to the word of God. We invite you to talk with the Lord as God has spoken to you. And so I wanna ask a couple of questions as we prepare for this time. The first question today is this. Do you know for sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Now, if you're here and today you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know heaven is where you'd spend eternity. Today, would you make the decision? Would you, would you pray and ask God, 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 would you help me not to wait? Would you help me not to wait to call out to you? God, would you help me not to believe the lie that you're unaware of my situation? God, would you help me to trust you even when, even when I, it doesn't seem like the answer is seen? Would you make the decision today to just trust that he is well aware of what's going on? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.